Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. Today's show is our Christmas edition with Gabe Echizabal. I'm getting so good with his last name, it just rolls right off the tongue. Uh, I think this is your fourth time here? It is. Wow. So originally we were talking about number four being a different topic, which we're going to yeah. probably have to circle back to for number sure. five. But I figured, you know, we're a couple of weeks out from Christmas and uh, it's hard to escape being in stores, watching movies, watching TV without getting some Bruce Springsteen or Mariah Carey or, or whomever. Right. And, you know, it, it gets a bad rap, but I think there is value. There has been some pretty great Christmas music, Christmas songs, Christmas related. I agree. I think I think the mark of a great Christmas song or album is something that you really wouldn't mind listening to all year round. All, all year, year round, round, yeah. Which really isn't that common. I mean, certain things are like you just dread hearing them when you know that time of year is coming. And I know back when I managed Vinyl Fever, there would be the coworkers would be like, "Whatever you do, do not play Christmas stuff because right. everywhere you go, you hear it." So I, I'm kind of thinking along the lines of stuff that I think is a little cooler, a little more, um, a little more hip. Not as you know, doesn't carry that connotation of oh, here we go again, like this horrible Christmas music. So well, I might sprinkle your your stories with little things of uh, cool Christmas tidbits that I can sure remember past. But I'll let you. you so what is this like a top ten list or a top? How are we, how are we, how are we working through this today? I did, um, I mentioned, I just made notes of some albums that I think are my personal favorite Christmas albums that I think hold up really well and are kind of, um, not your typical, maybe not your obvious ones. And then I just scribbled down a bunch of songs that I think are kind of, again, personal favorites, but things that I think aren't your typical, you know, stuff that you hear every year that you kind of get sick of. Well, I don't know if this is on there and if it is. Okay, if it's not, before we get off, we need to figure out what is the superior Christmas song, John Lennon's or Paul McCartney's. Oh, well, I'm, uh, well, well, <laughs> I made my list of songs and I listed Lennon's. Okay. I did not put McCartney's. Okay. Although I don't hate it. Yeah. Most people I know despise it. And it it's makes a them- bizarre. Well, that's, that'll be the, one of the cherries on top that we kind of circle back to. I mean, I know people who... They get violent when they hear that. It's like song. a weird video game song. It's like a <laughs> you know you feel like you're in Super Mario Brothers or something when you're listening it, to it. It's the polar opposite of the Lennon one, which yeah. I guess is true for those two individuals yeah. anyway. Right, right. I like it. I think it's you know it's a cute song. Sure. It's cheery, but I know people who just despise it. But I did list the Lennon song and not the McCartney song on my list. So, so who's the first one you got there for my songs or albums? Whichever you, this is your show. I'll go with the full albums. I'm going to go with. Um, you know, for a long time, my number two is actually was my number one has now slipped down. My number one for many, many, many years has been the Jackson Five Christmas album okay. because it just brings back so many memories for me. I mean, that's this album that my oldest sister got for Christmas one year, and the three of us there's I have two siblings. That's one album that we all agreed on, which is not common. That's one that we all loved. When I hear that, it just takes me back to a very significant place in time. So that's always been my favorite Christmas album. But that changed two years ago Uh with a new release. There's a contender. Thanks to my good friend. He's also named Josh. uh, My friend, uh, Josh Barnes. He and his wife came over to dinner for Christmas time two years ago. 
and they presented me with an album, somebody I had never heard of. And needless to say, I've got a pretty obsessive personality anyway, but I've become a completely obsessive freak on this guy. It's a guy named J.D. McPherson. Yes. Okay. Yes. So J.D.'s album is a Christmas album. It's called Socks. Okay. And it's just, it's one of the best albums, regardless of being a Christmas Checks album. off all your boxes. It's just, it's just superior. It's just a good uh, mixture. Of, I don't think I've heard it though. I got to check that out. Oh man. It'll, it'll bring a smile to your face. It'll make you laugh and it'll make you rock out. It's just his style of like kind of fifties inspired R and B, a little bit of rockabilly, a little bit of country. And they're all original compositions, which is very hard to do. And I'll tell you what, when I got this record, I was hooked right away. I listened to it, I'm not even lying, for a year straight. Wow. From Christmas to Christmas, I played it on heavy rotation. And that's that's, that's amazing for just anybody in general. And for someone who consumes as much music as you do, it's easier to burn out more quickly on stuff in a year. stop. Well, that's he's awesome. Got, he's got three other albums, and I had, of course, those on heavy rotation. But this one was right along with wow, it. Wow, and it beats the Jackson 5. It beat it. That's it's, a bold statement. It really is. Because the Jackson 5, it's hard to not feel good when anything that they have is I out agree. there. You know what's funny, too, is that doesn't exist really anymore. It doesn't. Can you even think of anything remotely similar to Jackson 5 i mean not really just a you know multiple harmonies everybody can sing it just i mean i guess the boy bands of the late 90s maybe was the last gasp of that type of music probably the, you just don't see it anymore the thing that i personally loved about the jackson 5 and i know michael jackson's got a backstory that, you know, we probably shouldn't get into in this joyous occasion. But um, the thing about him was, and a lot of kids don't understand this now, um, when we were younger, you know, it was hard to see music on TV. Oh, for sure, yeah. We didn't have MTV. We didn't have, you know, we couldn't stay up super late to watch Midnight Special or whatever. So when you saw music on TV, it was a huge deal. When I saw Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5 on TV, I I um, associated with them because he was a kid he was who was your age, a little your older age, than yeah. me making cool music that I liked right. that I could dance to. And that's huge. I right. mean, when you see that, it's it, 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 it makes a big uh, impression on you. So that's partially why I love that band so much. But, you know, that their Christmas album is just total – it's just total joy and exuberance. And it puts me in a good mood whenever I hear it. And I'll always love that record. But this JD one, I don't Strong know. first two, right out of the gates. Yeah. Um, You're packing heat today. The <laughs> <laughs> and these are my top three. Okay. I'll, I'll go with number three here is, um, again, somebody who's got a pretty shady past. But Phil Spector's Christmas album, The Christmas Gift for You, came out in 1963. That is just the, the, the quintessential Christmas album. I mean, you've got Darlene Love, you've got the Ronettes, the Crystals. It's just totally different arrangements of the Christmas songs that you're used to hearing. It's got, you know, Spectres, you know, I can't say, I can't undermine his production quality. Who's the guy that was in Roxy Music, uh, not the sing, not Brian Ferry, but the other guy who's done albums with David Byrne, uh, Eno. Brian Eno. I always have this weird Brian Eno, Phil Spector, like they have this weird <laughs> mad scientist understanding of tone and sound and layers. And yes. it's not, I, I don't, you know, because I don't think Phil Spector is a musician, right? He's no. just a producer. He's right. a consumer or an understander of music where Eno Correct. actually writes and plays. True. So that's different. But 
you know, they have this ability to kind of like potion together these sounds that no one else could really do. And I mean, was it was it pet sounds pet sounds that he worked on or Spectre? Uh, no, he did. He okay. worked on with the Beatles on Let It Be. Okay. And he did some Lennon's uh, solo stuff. He produced uh, All Things Must Pass for Right, Harrison. but he, he did the, the, the wall of sound or whatever it is that they, you know. Brian Wilson, I think, was in, really inspired by it. Okay. He's like a huge, yeah. I mean, he was a huge Spectre fan. Uh, but I was going to say, Brian Wilson is another one of those guys. And Todd Rundgren is another one another of those one guys, of those too. Guys. I mean, they're just like not human. The yeah. things that they hear. It's like a beautiful mind or Goodwill Hunting with totally. music. Totally. just see the... Notes floating around in the Completely. air. Completely. Right. Like, how did you ever think of that? So, right. Yeah, Spectre's definitely one of those guys. But that Christmas record is just it, – it's just amazing. I mean, I never get tired of that one. Um, this is another personal favorite. This is back to my childhood, childhood, but this is a little obscure. There was a disco orchestra called the South Soul Orchestra. South Soul? South Soul. South Soul. S-A-L-S-O-U-L. Okay. And they were kind of – um they were a backing band for a lot of other people, like a full string section and everything. And they put out like a bunch of records, but they put out one record. Their third album was called Christmas Jollies. <laughs> came out in 1976. And it is just awesome. It's like disco. That sounds amazing. Disco funk versions of Christmas songs. They do have a lot of originals on there that they wrote for the album, which are just as good as the uh, classics that they covered. But they did this um on the second side of the record. There's a medley that has like little snippets of different Christmas songs. It sounds totally cheesy and for some people, it might be, but it's just it's just the production on it is just you immaculate. can buy a little bit more cheese in a holiday album than you can in True. a in a regular album. Your yeah. your threshold's lower. It's loud. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, but that another one. That's one that my older sister had that we played to death, and I mean it's great. It's Christmas. It puts you in the mood, and you can dance to it. So we were all set. So I love that album. Um, this one was more of a compilation that was thrown together later, but. The, the, the tracks are so strong. It speaks on itself. This is a compilation. It came out probably about uh, 13, 14 years ago. It's a compilation that Stax put together. Okay. They called it Christmas in Soulsville. So they took recordings from a lot of their different artists and they compiled them. But it plays so well. It's so consistent. Uh, Otis Redding's on there. The Staple Singers are on there. Isaac Hayes are oh, on strong. there. Strong. Yeah. Really a strong. Deep lineup. bench on that album. And, and there's a version of uh, by Booker T and the MGs. There's a version of Winter Wonderland, which of course is instrumental because it's Booker T and the MGs. But man, that alone is worth. Really, the price. that's worth it. It's fantastic. Well, my hope is after after this interview is to put together a playlist uh, of of your picks and put that out there. Well, I put together. This is one of mine from a couple of years. Oh, okay, ago, all right. But I put together. It's all got right. some of these that I'm going to give you. So. Um, and then, lastly, for the full albums, I went with uh, Nick Lowe's oh. uh, Quality Street, which came out in 2013. Again, some originals, some covers. Um, he does some really cool covers. He does a Roger Miller cover, which is amazing. Nick Lowe is just like one of my favorite people on the planet. Talk about producer, songwriter, singer, musician, all of the above. He's just got it all. So, Who's Cruel to Be Kind? Is that Nick Lowe? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. He produced the first several Elvis Costello albums, right. produced the first Damned album. I mean, he's his resume is amazing. So his Christmas record, again, one of those that you can listen to all year long and you're not going to get bogged down and go, oh, man, this is a Christmas record. I don't want to hear this. It plays just as well during the year as it does at Christmas time. Right. 
So those are my full-length albums that I have on heavy Strong, rotation. I like it. Yeah. Um, I went with some songs, and I'll go through these kind of quickly. Um, I, I, I'm not rushing. You're, you're no, okay. You're no, okay. No, on time. I just I tend to be kind of real chatty. So sometimes well, I need to that's be, why we love you. I need to be roped. It's all in good stuff, there. though. It's all gold. You're spitting gold. It's okay. okay. Um, songs. I I know you mentioned them at the beginning, but I can't not mention Bruce's version of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which ironically, hearkening back to the Phil Spector record, his version, his arrangement is more reminiscent of the one that's on that album. You know, we've heard the typical Santa Claus is coming to town. He doesn't follow the typical, you know, his version doesn't sound like what we're used to, but it's actually modeled after the Phil Spector version. That song is probably, I would have to say, if I don't think too hard about it, probably my favorite Christmas song. And, you know, my favorite thing about it is not Bruce being Bruce, even though that's pretty great because he's got all his little kind of, you know, crowd work stuff that he's doing in there. My favorite part, though, is when Clarence's sax hits. Oh, yeah. It, it, like the party starts when that part hits. Totally. And it just the, the air that guy's got to push through that horn and just the authority. I mean, oh, man. I don't know. You know, I didn't live during the jazz legends of, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80, however long ago. But during my lifetime, just watching him, he was just a you know, a giant of a man and just so amazing up there. He's a powerhouse. Yeah. Man, he was, you know, yeah. may he rest in peace. And, um, you know, the cool thing about that too is Bruce still pulls that one out when it's around this time of year. Well, plus his son touring. is playing the horn now too, isn't he? His, um, Clarence's nephew, son. Nephew. Oh, nephew. Yeah. Okay. Jake. Yeah. Okay. Jake his nephew. Um, but Bruce still plays this. As a matter of fact, the very first time I ever saw Bruce in my whole life, the very first time of dozens and dozens of times, was in December. It was December 7th, 1984. Not that I have that date memorized, <laughs> but he played up in Tallahassee and I went up there. I skipped school. I told my mom, I was like, I'm going to Tallahassee to see Bruce. Nothing you can do about it. And he played Santa Claus is Coming to Town. So it kind of holds a special place in my heart too, because sure. it, it, it reminds me of the first time I ever got to witness him. So, right. so beyond many other reasons why I love it so much. But again, just joyful. It's just happy. I love it. Um, next one, uh, I went with one of my all-time favorite singers ever, 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 soul singer, uh, Donnie Hathaway, who okay. of course is no longer with us. He um, released a song in 1968 called This Christmas. It's an original recording. Didn't really go anywhere when it came out, but uh, it, it kind of flopped upon first release, to be honest. Um, it charted really badly. But um, in 1991, uh, there was a compilation that came out through Atlantic Records that included it. And it kind of grew legs. Like a renewed. Yeah. People yeah. got like really interested. And the interesting thing about it is it got very renowned in, um, in, uh, you know, am- among the black community. And it became kind of a standard where now that song has been covered by people like Usher, uh, John Legend did a oh, great okay. version of it. I mean, the, the, the list of people who have covered this song is a mile long. So it's a really interesting story. And what's funny about him is, I mean, again, I'm a big fan of his, but usually with Donny Hathaway, you can just hear the heartbreak in his voice. Right. That's why I love him so much because he just pours it out. But, you know, he kind of flips it on this one. It's a Christmas song, and he just sounds like so happy. Right. Which is kind of a weird juxtaposition for, you know, the life and the mental health issues he had and kind of the struggles he went through. But it's a beautiful song. I just I played it on my way over here. So Very cool. You know, I was listening to it. So that that's one of my favorites. Um, 
specific track from the Phil Spector album I mentioned earlier is Darlene Love's Christmas Baby, Please Come Home. Most people know it because she did that on Letterman for almost 30 years. It was like almost a um, – you, you might know a cover version. Of well, it. I'm trying to think. I feel like it's been used in a couple Scorsese movies or something. It, it was in Goodfellas. Was it? Okay. Sure yeah, it yeah. when they're like opening up the freezer and the guy's hanging in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that version of that song is – is Darlene Love, another one. I mean, I got to see her live a few years ago. I've always loved her, but you talk about powerhouse. I have her never... voice is like Clarence Clements on the oh, sax. Yeah, my just God. yeah, no, I, for sure. I, I, I'm hearing it in my head right now. She, she almost didn't need a microphone. Right, right, seriously. Right, it's yeah. Just, it, it's just so powerful. Um, so she did that song, and of course, it's you know it's been covered by you two. The Ramones did a or Joey yeah. Ramone, sorry, did a cover of it, um, but. She was down on her luck. She was, you know, I don't know if you know the story, but before she got involved in the uh, in the uh, uh, Lethal Weapon movies, and I mean, she was cleaning houses. Wow! This is one of the greatest vocalists of all time. Yeah, who made Phil Spector a mountain of money, and she she had no she had nothing. Right. So um, David Letterman, kind of a goodwill gesture gesture, invited her to do that one time, and the response was so strong. He brought her back every year until he went off the air. That's so cool. Which is amazing. So if she's kind of synonymous well, with that song. You make an interesting point is when a band releases a Christmas single or a Christmas album, that's a very loaded uh, journey for the artist. Because a lot yeah. of times it's like, you know, at the end of a career – or when sales are not going as well, sometimes it's okay, a soundtrack and we'll, you know, we're selling out. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a new artist who needs to get their name out there. But it's funny because it's it's very much a vehicle that can mean different things depending on where you're at in your career. Completely. I mean, most people see it as a jump the shark move. It's like restaurants like, offering brunch. That's that's it. Right. It's the brunch. <laughs> Christmas songs are the brunch. Of, uh, that's good. Yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, it's usually like, oh boy, yeah, now they're relying yeah, on yeah, that because yeah. nothing else is yeah. working. Yeah, this is a, a guaranteed, you know, airplay, a little bump at least yeah. for a few weeks out of the year. That's so, right. True, and some people, I, I think, I don't know. There's no rule, but I think some people do it too early. If you have one album out, I don't think your next album should be a Christmas album. I don't know. That's just me. I think you should. If you're real popular at the time and let's say it's in a Christmas movie, you do one, then that's one thing. But I think you got to be a couple albums in and have I agree. a following built up to where, okay, that people, those people will now want to listen. I agree. To that. You yeah. To establish yourself yeah. a little bit before you go down that. But then if you're, so. if you're in the game too, too far, like. I don't know. If Foo Fighters put out a, a Christmas song, I'd be like, Ooh, I don't yeah. know that that's the best idea. True. So anyway. No, that, that's true. It can be interpreted many different ways. Yeah. Um, let's see. What else do I have? Oh, uh, well, Stevie Wonder, another great uh, Someday at Christmas. One of my favorites. Right. Stevie Wonder, I can – His wor- he's like pizza. Bad Stevie Wonder is amazing Stevie Wonder. Yeah, I even forgive him for – I just called him. Notice all my food you. analogies. This might explain <laughs> my weight problem. <laughs> he must be hungry. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's another great song. Actually, he released it as a standalone, and it became the, – the, the response was so strong – he ended up recording an entire Christmas record that year in 67. Right. So that, that shows you how well-received that song was. Again, it's been covered by Jackson 5. It's on their Christmas record. Uh, Temptations, Diana Ross, Mary J. Blige, covered by a ton of people. But, you know, definitely one that I have to hear every Christmas because 
Because it's Stevie Wonder. Come on. Now, are you are you a are you a fanatic? Like when December one hits, is this what's going playing in your house and playing in your car? Or? No. Okay. Not at all. I mean, I'm the type of person who I don't do it so much because of it's regimented or it's the time of the year. The mood has to kind of strike right. me. And like this afternoon when I was working and getting ready, I knew I was going to come see you and do this. I put a bunch of these songs. Yeah, on I get stoked to yeah think about of, it. You know, put me in a put me in the right mood. So. Um, I love this song. I know most people hate it. People are sick of it, but, uh, Wham's Last Christmas. Oh, that's an amazing song. I love. So I've good. Gotten so much flack for loving that song. But no, no, no. I don't care. Strong, strong song. Huge George Michael fan. Um, that song was number one in like so many different countries around Europe and around the world when it came out. And, um, that might be, that's in the top five favorite Christmas songs yeah, for me. Yeah, for sure. That's definitely top five. Actually, and, you know, little known fact, um, maybe, maybe not. Um, gr- granted, it's not got a whole lot of in- instrumentation, but that's George Michael playing everything on it. Really? Yeah, he did the whole thing. You know, I don't even know that I knew, except for Faith, where he's fake strumming an acoustic guitar, I don't even know that I knew he knew how to play an instrument. Yeah, he's, he's this is, okay. pretty well versed. Interesting. You know? uh, oh, another fun fact, back to the Darlene Love one. One of the backup singers on that song is Cher. Really? Yeah. Wow. She was trying to get established. So, yeah, that's Cher singing backup amongst a bigger uh, crowd of other vocalists. But one of them is Cher. Very interesting. Um, So, I think I brought these up to you in a text message a couple weeks ago. But I don't know if you remember this, but there was a time when MTV had started and they were kind of low on videos. What they were doing is they were inviting artists into the studio and filming a video right, right. of them performing or lip syncing the song in the studio. Um, so there's three songs that I always think of around the same time based on that idea. And I really do genuinely like these songs. So I was going to mention these three together. Uh, first, I'm going to mention Brian Adams because I'm a massive Brian Adams fan. What's the I mean, name? I, I can hear it in my head, but what's the, the name of it? The one he did on there was Reggae Christmas. Oh, okay. There's another one that I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. It was, you know, kind of people are like, what does this Canadian know right, about reggae? Right, right, right. <laughs> but, you know, it's a fun song. It makes it work, yeah. Um, Billy Squire did one. Uh, the very the Brian Adams one was in 1984. Billy Squire did, I believe it was the very first one. He did a song called uh, Christmas is the Time to Say I Love You, okay. which was actually a B-side from one of the singles from his big album from uh, Don't Say No. He came back to do that with the MTV group and – it's just, it's a great it's song. Fun, yeah. I like Billy Squire. I don't Me care, too. But, you know, he's got another one. I'm mentioning a lot of people who have- like, Does a, Billy Squire have a, 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 a lurid history? Oh, yeah. Does he really? Well- I had no idea. He was huge, as we all know. Sure. I mean, he was everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, he, he got a raw deal. The guy, he made the video. I don't know if you remember it. It's for a song called uh, Rock Me Tonight. Oh, for sure. He's got like the pink parachute pants yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's rolling around. Yeah, on the floor. So and yeah. there's a scene where he rips his shirt yeah. open. That four-minute video was like the death knell of Billy Squire's career. Really? So many people turned his back on him. And I'm like, it was the 80s, guys. Yeah, that's what everybody's doing. Pink parachute pants were not that. I grew up in the in the age of uh, roller skating parties or roller skating. You know, you go to the roller skating rink. Exactly. And that's the type of music that, you know – 
you'd 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 finish up your Pac-Man game and get on the floor. You know, and I just I never understood that. He was arguably the biggest solo artist of 80, 81, going into 82. And then all of a sudden it's like we want nothing to do with him. I have a theory that, you know, I think a lot of people were kind of questioning his sexuality. Yeah. So that was kind of the the what what you know the catalyst for going, oh, I'm not a fan anymore. He right. wears pink pants. But I yeah. mean, what a ripoff. I right. mean, that guy's that guy's a rocker. Uh, last one was, and this one's pretty obscure, but there's a guy named Joe King Carrasco. He was kind of like a new wave punk rock, Tex-Mex kind of guy. Wow. He mixed all those genres together. Tex-Mex punk rock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what he was known for. And he had a song called, um, Party Christmas. Okay. It's cheesy, but I love it. It's real, just real bubbly and real bouncy. But that was one of the MTV videos that, that, that was done at that time too. So those three I always think of together. Those are my favorite ones. I mean, there were other ones that were filmed sure. that didn't register with me as much, but those three I love. So those three, I usually try to put on Christmas compilations whenever I make them. So I love those songs. Um, I brought up Joey Ramone a little while ago. He did a great cover of um, of uh, the song Darlene Love Made Famous. But Who sang on it? Did um, he, say, he sang on it? Yeah, he did. Okay. It, did he? Who played on it? Oh boy! What it, it came out on the record that was released, the solo record that was released after he passed away. Okay. So he had a bunch of guest musicians and stuff. Okay. On there. It's like all these different sessions, but he um, that ended up there on that album um, called "You Know." But the Ramones also did a Christmas song called um, "Merry Christmas." I don't want to fight tonight. <laughs> it was on their album "Brain Drain" right. in '89, uh, which you know. Wasn't their finest moment. I mean, the the band itself said, you know, it was kind of a misstep, but that's a great song. Sure. It's just, it's so unusual. Again, to hear the Ramones do a Christmas song, like, why are these guys doing this? Right, right, right. You know, hey, if it gets air. If you're going to do a song about Spider-Man or about whatever, you do one about Christmas. Exactly. Why not? So those two I love with Joey in common. Um, There's a song by the band called Christmas Must Be Tonight. Okay. 1976. It was just, again, it was like a kind of like a one off, but then they ended up tacking it onto the following full length album called Islands. Did you see that video that just came out the other day? And I think it was Nick Lowe, Mavis Staples, and yes. Wilco singing uh, The Weight. Yes. I think it was, yeah. Oh, man. Pretty great. Yeah. So good. So good. So, um, so that band song, Christmas Will Speak Tonight, that's one of my favorites. I play that one every Christmas for sure. Um, let's see. Okay. Uh, one of my, well, I say this about everybody, one of my favorites, but well, everybody's like a, your favorite. That's why you're great. I've got is, a million favorites. You're the number one fan of every, everybody. So <laughs> that's okay. Um, you know, British, huge British seventies band Slade who went into the eighties, who I love, you know, kind of the, the, the godfathers of glam. Um, they have a song called, uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. And the cool thing about that song, it came out in 73, right? So in England, it's a big deal. The song that's number one on Christmas week, that's like a huge like accolade. A huge achievement, yeah. And for years and years and years following the release of this thing, that was the number one song at that time. It was just, it, it endured. It became a, a legacy, yeah. For so long. And, uh, you know, it still gets played over there. It's been covered by a bunch of different people, but, um, but it's just, it's a rocking song. It's a great song. Uh, going into some more glam rock here, because that's kind of 
And thank you, by the way, for the uh, T-Rex monolith. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to get my producer to make that the bumper music. He's like, I don't think you want to get sued by whoever owns T-Rexes. <laughs> That's how I think. I see yeah. a visual and I hear yeah, a song. Yeah. That's just the way I am. Um, but that was a great picture, by the way. That was fun, yeah. Um, this is a guy that I think is probably one of the most underrated guys in rock and roll. A guy named Roy Wood. I've probably talked about him on here before. I think I remember talking to you about it, yeah. Roy Wood was the guy who started ELO. Yeah. He was in a band called The Move before that. After he left ELO, he made uh, formed a band called Wizard. Hugely influential for people like um, Cheap Trick and Jellyfish, a lot of power pop people. But uh, Roy Wood has a song called um, I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. And it's just, I mean, you hear this song and the chorus will be stuck in your head for days. Okay. It's so catchy. R.E.M. did a great cover Ooh, of it. Ooh, I'm a big R.E.M. guy. Yeah, yeah, they did a fantastic cover of it several years ago. Um, but again, another great song. Another one that was a perennial British hit at Christmas time. This is one that, <clears throat> excuse me, always gets airplay over in England every year, even though it's, you know, it came out. I feel like scene. radio has had a longer career in England than it's had in the United States. Oh, for sure. With I all the BBC so. one, you know, I mean, it's still big. Like I think it, it, it's, a, you know, still I think a so. major force over there. Well, it was a catalyst in breaking people. I mean, you know, if somebody like John Peel played you, you could guarantee Yeah, it's like Johnny Carson of music. Totally. Of. You can yeah. guarantee you were going to sell it. some records the next day. So, yeah, it was very, very influential. Um, here's one that I guess the group didn't want to do, but they were talked into it. Uh, Run DMC's Christmas Oh, that Hollis. was going to be one of the ones I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Woo, what a great song. Um, that was included on that very first edition of that very special Christmas series of albums that were done for charity. Not a lot of hip hop Christmas songs. So there, there really yeah, are, yeah. you know? Um, and I think when that came out, people were taken aback. Like, again, why are these guys doing this? Well, because they were tougher than leather. I mean, you know, you, you, <laughs> you kind of hold this spot in people's mind and now you're singing about Christmas. It's yeah. hard to rectify the two. But, but, but I don't think that they kind of compromised themselves or quote sold out by doing it. It's a run DMC song. Oh, for sure. That happens to be a Christmas song. Right, right, right. That's the way I always look at it. And my God, the money it's probably made being put in movies since oh, then. I, I mean, know. every Christmas movie that I've seen made in the past 30 years has that song in if he, it. I yeah. know, I know. Yeah. It's such a great song. Um, and we talked about this earlier, but I went with John and Yoko's, uh, Happy Christmas Wars Over. Yeah. 1971. Yeah. What a great song. I it mean, really is. I mean, it's a, it's a protest song. It's a, you know, just a good song. It's a, yeah, who, for who, sure. Who could pull that off? A Christmas slash protest song. <laughs> How do you feel about John Lennon? Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, he's, as a kid, he was the coolest Beatle to right. me. Um, he's always got kind of the darkest storyline of all of them. As I get older and hear more about him, there's some not great stuff you hear about. And I don't know how much of it's true and not true. Exactly. But, you know, that kind of sullies the, the view of him. And I've really appreciated how Paul McCartney has carried off being a Beatle for the entirety of his life still, yeah, you know. Right. So I've, my fascination. And then of course, uh, George has become like a Zen master guru kind of guy. So it's interesting, but it's funny you say that because I was having this thought in my head, like I always do. Um, kind of as you can divide the phases of your life into which beetle you associate right. with the most. Yeah. Um, 
when I was a kid, when I first got into the Beatles, and the Beatles were a band that I got into solely on my own. I mean, my older sisters were not Beatles fans. Right. So I discovered them on my own when I was 12. Uh, but I was instantly drawn to Lennon. I mean, John Lennon was just the- He was like the Kurt Cobain, if you will, oh or gosh. whatever you wanted to, yeah, whoever totally. you want to draw a parallel to. That that was the first person. I mean, I was, gosh, I was 12 or 13. I'm sorry, 13. When he died, that was the first- Sorry, I just compared John Lennon to Kurt Cobain. No, no. That's but, kind of backwards, but no, you, get, no, no, you get no. the point that I'm but making. For my generation, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was the first- celebrity, musician, whatever you want to consider him. That was the first death that just, I mean, it rocked me to the I, core. I, that might be still to this day. Like, I don't know that there's a more. I was just devastated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Did sounds, you tell me you lived in New York at that time? No, I was living here already. Okay, okay. I was born in New York, but I was already here. That was, uh, he died the year after I moved here, actually. Mm. But it, I can't describe it, but it was almost like when I was, you know, uh, 13, I was like, this isn't supposed to happen. I mean, I didn't have a grasp. I mean, Elvis had died three years before that. There's and, a difference between an overdose and being murdered, though. I yeah, think, totally. You know, totally. But, 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 but I hadn't wrapped my head around Elvis Presley had died that he was no longer with us. I was a little young still. But when John Lennon died, I was just like, this isn't supposed to happen. I mean, this guy just put out one of the best records of his entire career. And now he's dead. It just didn't calculate. So, I mean, he was the first one that I really kind of associated with. Um, Paul, I love. I mean, I will. I love Paul McCartney to the day I die. I've had my, you know, kind of some things he says and does are kind of get on my nerves. Yeah. You know, but I still love the guy. George is kind of where we should all be mentally. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think George is kind of sets the tone for you know, the real introspective kind of the people that emotional were, intelligence. Totally, yeah. He, totally. he doesn't have the ego of maybe Paul or the yeah. darkness of John. And have you seen the George Harrison oh, documentary sure. that Martin Scorsese? For sure. All right. So amazing. And I'm not afraid to say this, but there's a part when Ringo's talking about the type of person George was uh -huh. and George is on his deathbed uh -huh. and he finds out that Ringo's son is ill. So George says, do you want me to go with you to check on him? Uh -huh. That just breaks me up every yeah, time. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, that, that, that's a superhuman right there. For sure. What was the story about the person that broke into the house? And then didn't he like, I'm, now I might be mixing it up with the you're, John. You're Lennon, mixing it up with Lennon. Or John yeah, like Lennon. went outside and talked to him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So no, a great documentary what, though. What, 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 a, what a great soul. I've been you know? side note. Did you, have you seen the Zappa one that just came out? I yet? haven't seen it I yet. I want to see it. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I have not seen it yet, but that's on my list. Um, but, but yeah, so, and you know, back what you said about Lennon. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the things that he did, I mean, he was a human being first and foremost. But it's the domestic violence that I hear about. That's the one that kind of gets, me, I know, you know, yeah, that. <laughs> that's, I, I, I don't know if there was some, he maybe wasn't the best dad to Julian or Sean or what, some of these other things. And he, he liked guns and whatever that, else, but you know, I, the, the, the you know, I smacking your spouse around. Is not uh, yeah. I'm not cool with that, yeah, obviously, yeah. but yeah, the part about Julian kind of coming forward and saying he was never around. Right. wasn't really. That that kind of made me see kind of a darker side, yeah. Which I don't know that I really wanted to see, but I had to see it to face it to understand it. You know, well, it's hard to think. I think it would be very difficult for someone like that to be the type of father you want to be or want to have. That said, from what I've heard of from Bowie's son, 
evidently Bowie was pretty close. You yeah. know, he's a, he was on a Mark Marin's show and uh-huh. he's like, he was just my dad. We would just go do whatever. And, right. you know, the thin white Duke and I would go out fishing or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of hard to put, put that into context. But so anyway, but yeah, it's just, um, yeah, the, the, the domestic violence, obviously, it's like a tripping, said, a tripping point. Um, but the thing that made me really sad was, and I'm going to paraphrase here, but, I think when Julian saw how close John was to Sean because of where John was at that time in his life, I think it made him a little envious that he didn't have that himself. And that made me sad because I'm like, you know, every kid deserves to have their dad or their mom there at all times. I mean, granted, John Lennon was living in a pretty tumultuous time in the 60s with being recognized everywhere he went and, you know, he still well, – Plus, of, John was with Sean's mom and wasn't with Julian's mom and that's got to be a shit situation because you feel like the exactly. third wheel or, you know, you kind of feel like the odd man out. True. Yeah. That yeah. too. So, so that made me a little sad. But, um, but you know, I still – the music is speaks for itself. But, um, but I do love Paul. I mean, I know I've had this discussion with a lot of people and people are either staunchly one way or the other. I'm kind of in the middle. I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that both of those guys together are pretty tough to beat. Yeah, you don't have you don't have to be one or the other. You, you can be both. To. I mean, that's that's what being a Beatles person is. So exactly, and that's the great thing. I mean, sometimes you're in the mood to hear a Paul record. Sometimes you're in the mood to hear a George record, and there's plenty to go around to last you a lifetime. So that's right. And I'm happy to be there. So that was my list for my songs and my albums that absolutely positively rank. Highly with me. So uh, just just a, a couple couple of spots that I wanted to, to touch on. Did you ever listen to the Sufjan Stevens one that he put together that was like six albums together? You know, I've heard bits and pieces, but I've never heard the entire thing. So I always I, – I, I've appreciated him as a musician, although his his output is kind of hit or miss sometimes. Uh-huh. But I, I always have him in this world of – Wes Anderson type movies, Charlie Brown type sensibilities, and this kind of very pixieous finger picking banjoy uh-huh. whatever. But I, I, it was a it was very much a uh, bold thing to put out because I mean it was like a box yeah. set that he put out, and he wasn't at a point in his career to put out a box set A and B not well known enough that people are going to be buying a box set from Sufjan Stevens. So that was one. Um, it, it was a pretty bold move. I mean, I was still working at the record store when that came out. And I remember people going, oh, the Christmas box set. Yeah. And they'd say, who is this guy? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, the next memory before I'll get to the last one, and it's not really a, a, a song. Well, I guess it's a song, but I always remember is uh, Bowie and uh, is it Ben Crosby. Yeah. As one of the more bizarre. Ooh, very things to exist in this world and i was it a bing crosby special where he was just having artists of the day come in and yes and i remember bowie's like supposed to be walking in out of the snow and taking his scarf off and oh there you are and they just decide to sing together it's just so awkward yeah yeah, it's awkward it's so awkward and then finally is the charlie brown soundtrack which has got to be for me the most quintessential christmas music out there and my wife and i we went to nashville a couple years ago and there was a bar where this band is bluegrass band did the whole album live front to back and it was one of the coolest shows i've ever went to just hanging out drinking beer and watching this band and they crushed it but that you know yeah i don't know the trivia behind that so much but for me that's that's christmas music is that album that's fantastic yeah 
So anyway, well, thank you so much for coming by. I really yeah. appreciate it. Did not disappoint. Um, I'm going to make a Spotify list, but I, I see you brought a disc too. So yeah, just some stuff, you know, some, maybe some of the stuff I'm going to put it in my truck tonight when I take my wife out. Yeah. Just some interesting stuff that I threw together. Um, I usually make one of these every year. This one is dating back several years, but you know, I've got some, I've got Booker T in, on here. I've got Al Green, Squeeze, the Donny Hathaway song. Uh, Badly Drawn Boy, uh, Brian Setzer Orchestra, who does a bang up sure, yeah. job on Christmas stuff. And his Christmas shows live are oh, I would bet. amazing. I would bet. Amazing. He's almost like a Vegas act. You know, yeah, he yeah. just put knows how to. What a showman. Right, right. Him and Reverend Horton Heat, their Christmas shows are so much they fun. They play together? No, no, no. I mean, oh, separately. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's few No, but very that, similar type of, yeah, yeah, guy. Exactly. But yeah, Rockabilly type of, yeah. His Christmas shows are a lot of fun and so are Setzer. So I wanted to throw them in there too. Very cool. But yeah. Gabe, you're the man. We love you. We'd love when you come by and teach us about music. And Thank I you. really appreciate it. I love it. Hope you have a merry Merry Christmas. Same to you, Josh. Right. Thank you.